Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champ, nine-year pro kicking coach, rep in the South, Coach Brian Jackson. What's up, 40 Nation? We are excited for today's interview. Uh, before we get to it here, uh, Brian Jackson is not able to join us today, so he gives us our best regards. Uh, but we're excited today to have a, a young special teams coach in the mix. We've had the chance to know him here for a few years, talk to him about uh, recruiting in general over the last few years, and um, excited to have him on. I actually heard him talk on the uh, Iceman podcast. And that was a real good uh, discussion here. So we're hoping to continue that. And so I want to introduce to you Mac Alexander. He is the special teams GA at Washington State. Thank you, Mac, for being on. Yes, sir. Thank you, Coach. It's good to finally uh, see you. We <laughs> yeah. talked a lot on the phone, but it's good to actually finally see your face uh, since we can't go out and do stuff anymore. So yeah, it's uh, it's been one of the fun perks with doing the podcast is actually now finally seeing the person that we've been talking to for years. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting a chance to know him a little bit more. So, oh, for Mac, sure. why don't you start us off? You're a GA at Washington State. Why don't you talk a little bit about your history from, say, say college and up. How did you get to this role and what has it been like? Okay, so my history is kind of, it's a little crazy. Um, you know, I'm from Colorado. I grew up in a small town in western Colorado. I got a football scholarship to go play a Division two school called uh, Colorado Mesa University. It used to be Mesa State University. Um, I was a safety, and I went there. Uh, I played for two years, and I had a career-ending neck injury, and uh, I couldn't play anymore. And so that's how I kind of got into coaching. My head coach, Joe Romano, was awesome, and he sat me down and said, hey, I'll keep your scholarship if you just help us coach, be a student coach. And I was like, awesome, I'll do it, let's go. And I got real into it. I knew it's what I want to do with my life after the first semester coaching. But at the same time, I really struggled. I still wanted to play. I still um, struggled coaching some of my friends. And uh, it was just, I just wanted to still have an opportunity to compete. So I walked on to the basketball team at that school, actually. And I played basketball for three years after that, nice. uh, which, was, which was crazy. Different, different. It was just different. And, um, you know, I wasn't very good at first because I hadn't played basketball in a while. And then I ended up playing and played a lot my senior year but it was a great learning experience got around different guys and um honestly I think it's it made me a better coach and made me a better recruiter um Mm -hmm. I can talk about that later but after that my last semester I knew I want to get back into football uh the staff that brought me in got uh let go so there's a new football staff on my campus um I had an internship and one of my best friends still was on a coach on the staff and I interned with the new staff during the spring and was through spring football. So that's how I got back into it. And I did it. I just was up there as much as I possibly could during that spring semester, just in the offices. And luckily I got offered a GA spot after that. And so um, that next fall, so I GA there for two years at Colorado Mesa. I was a first year was D line coach. Um, I did the outside linebackers edges type. And then the second year I became um, the, the safeties coach. And then after that, a few, you know, had some staff turnover. I got promoted to a full-time uh, secondary coach at Colorado Mason. I did that for two years. 
And then after that, um, it was just time for my wife and I to kind of move on from the school we've been at for so long. We loved it, had nothing wrong. Um, I got an opportunity to go to another Division II school. Uh, it's called Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Mm -hmm. And um, I took that job as a defense coordinator and uh, DB coach. And I was there for a year. And then um, some stuff happened and I ended up leaving and went to another Division II school now in Texas. And it was uh, where my mentor was, Marcus Patton. He was a DC there and gave me a, a shot to kind of get going again as some crazy stuff. And so I went there as a safeties coach. And then I was happy. We were good. Tarleton was uh, making the jump to FCS. So I was fired up being Division One football, you know, being a small school guy. And then I got a call from uh, Michael Gobriel, who's our special teams coordinator here at Washington State. And he just got the job from Hawaii with Coach Rolovich. And he called me and was like, hey, you want to come be my – Special teams GA. And I was like, let me talk to my wife. <laughs> um, we, we had just moved and it would have been our fourth move in four years. And so I was just like, okay. Uh, and then we ended up deciding, let's go. And so I got up here wow. almost a year ago um, in February, early February. And then I've been here ever since COVID happened and it's just been a whirlwind, but it's been awesome. I'm uh, very blessed and very fortunate to be where I'm in, you know, being a small school guy, I, I uh, looked up to guys who were at this level. Mm -hmm. And now I just can't believe I'm actually, I, it was always a goal of mine. I just can't believe, luckily I was young enough to be a GA still. Yeah. And I have some experience, but I was young enough to kind of take a, a step down, but a step up in my career path. So it's been um, very blessed and very fortunate. So. Nice. So how many years or seasons have you been a GA there? Uh, just one season here at Washington okay. State. So uh, one thing, uh, a phrase that has stuck with me uh, when we interviewed Coach Bankins, he's the special teams coach at uh, USC Charlotte. He says, nobody's, nobody's born into wanting to be in the special teams. It's, it's an acquired taste. It's a love that, that develops. So what has been your, I guess, joy or things that you've learned about working with specialists and having that, that role as your duties? Um, is it, you're talking about working with special teams or specialists? I'll say both. We'll both? Okay. Um, so before I came here, I, I was always, you know, at those other D2 schools, we had like, co I was a co-special teams coordinator. Like I would run three units, another coach would run three units. Um, when I was actually the, D the Demons coordinator at Fort Lewis, I kind of with a younger guy and I had to help him. So we kind of did it together there as well. So I've always been involved in special teams. I've always loved it. I thought I love being able to speak in front of the whole team. So special teams to me was that way to like, just become a better, honestly, a better coach and be able to get to know the whole team. So I've always loved it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think <laughs> some, some people look at it differently. Um, you know, I think it did kind of find me, but a big reason why I love it so much is because I call him Coach Gobi, but Michael Gobriel, especially his coordinator here, and how much love and how much passion, how much emphasis of just technique goes into every single unit for everything really just it just kind of clicked in my head of just making this is just like having you know your own position group um you know whether i'm coaching dbs or whatever position you're coaching it just really i just love the way he approached it and the way he used the motivation to be able to use special teams as a motivator as a team to go off the head coach um to bring that culture to the team i, I love that part of it um now working with specialists i never before I got here, I never worked with specialists. My, wherever I was, the head coach always handled the specialists. Yeah. Um, because, you know, he didn't, at least I call it a Mesa, he didn't have a position group. So he was just, he was working with the kickers every once in a while. And um, 
it, it was so I never really around him. So when I got here, I was very, very fortunate to be around. Um, we had like a really, really awesome punter when I got here and really awesome place kicker. And I'd really just pick their brain and learn from them. Um, we're, we're fortunate here where Coach Gobi doesn't coach another position. We're just special teams, so it's just me and him. A lot of times I, I will go help with the offense, but he's always with the specialists. I'm with them all the time too. But yeah. it's, it's just been awesome. I love it. I, I, I've gained a ton of respect for all of them. Mm -hmm. I always knew they were really important. I always, um, you know, all the stuff you want to you, – you want a great punter, you want a great kicker and how they need to be treated. But I think – I've just gained so much respect for the way they approach the game. And it's just been awesome to learn. I picked their brain and then I got to the point where they trust me and they, they listen to me. And okay. if we don't know, I'll send them a, you know, I'll send a video. What, what happened here? And they'll, they'll talk to me. So I've learned a lot. And I love it. I think it's real fun. Uh, almost sounds like too, you were blessed with having, again, talented specialists, which makes the transition easier, but where they kind of know what they're doing as well. So they, and they're willing to help teach you the ropes as well. So that's kind of a win-win. Yes, sir. Yeah. And Coach Gobi knows more. He knows a lot about it because he's been around it for a while. So he was able to help me too. Um, and then just watching tape and just listening to guys like you. Now I first got it, and especially during COVID, when we got sit home, we were all quarantined. Mm -hmm. Most of my day when I wasn't doing stuff for somebody else, I was watching kicking stuff and just trying to learn. Yeah. And just just kind of want to look like an idiot. <laughs> Yeah. around my specialists. I wanted to actually try to help them and coach them. Yeah. Um, so I just, that's, that's really what I did. You know, I know uh, Brett was on this nice man kicking guy uh, podcast and his Bible. I got his book, read his book and just, I've just been trying to learn. It's just something new to me. And um, yeah. that's, I think that's why I like it so much. What would you say are some newfound respects that you have for kickers and punters and maybe that, Shed some light because it's not as easy as it looks, as, we, as as some of us know. But like, what, what have what have you like, what have you learned? And you're like, wow, yeah, it's a little tougher to do than anticipated. Yeah, um, I guess it's just uh, you know, like o Oscar Diskusevich, our punter. Um, he, I mean, he would just go, and I've always heard stories about, it, but I, I actually got to watch him. He would go an hour before practice. And do um, he did like over 300 drops before we even got to practice, mm -hmm. and then he would go and doing more drops during practice because I watched him do it all the time. I just and then our kicker Blake Mazza, he um, you know we had a period during practice that we called it Mamba period because we want ourselves to be like Kobe, have a Mamba mentality. It was a two minute period and we just got three kicks in, mm -hmm. and th these kicks was with the whole team around the uh, field goal team, field goal block team, walking through stuff, and it was just. You know, most time the kicks were like 19-yard kicks, 17-yard kicks from a certain hash. But the way Blake mentally prepared himself for those three kicks was like a game day to him. Mm -hmm. And I just appreciated the way he could lock in so much. When yeah. I know, like when I was a player playing safety, I wasn't always locked in for every practice. Yeah. But every time Blake went up to kick a ball, he had a look on his face that he was just locked in. And so I, and I knew how, I know how hard that is. And so I guess that's the biggest thing is just being able to mentally lock in, work on your craft, go and do a hundred drops, you know, which to me, I'm not, I haven't been, I'm not a kicker. So that, that just doesn't sound appealing, appeasing to me. So that, that, that's, that's the biggest thing. It's just such a different mindset. Like I'll go, when I was playing basketball, I'll go shoot jump shots all day. And now, you know, that, I can do that, but going and dropping a ball a hundred times, it's not necessarily something I, uh, you know, use my mind. So just seeing diff how different guys' minds work and 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one know, of those things. They where, want to master their craft just like everybody else. Yeah, exactly. You're you're putting all the hours in, like you practice your free throws, your three point shots, and for those two to six opportunities that you're going to get in the game, and just just be on it. I always find it interesting is, you know, kickers. You know, there's a lot of, you know, when they get hate, you know, going 80 percent is a bad season, but yet a quarterback completion percentage in the 60s is is good. Yeah. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Seems a little bit disproportionate on the expectation of, of how on a kicker and punter's got to be, but that's what we sign up for, you know. Oh, for sure, yeah, for sure. So, going back into getting into coaching, so you're you're like fresh in, into this at the Division One level. Um, what would you say are, are some of the bigger comparisons or differences, and maybe similarities between D two and D one coaching, uh, coaching mentality and expectations? Um, the biggest the biggest thing, obviously, that most people know is the money. Um, you know, you kind of see it just every day, but in the end, it's, it's still just coaching ball. It's still just coaching football. And I didn't, I knew that, but now that I'm here, I really, like, I believe it. You just get to go coach football. And, but the biggest difference to me, you know, when I was at the D2 level, you know, I was the equipment manager. I was, um, like doing laundry after games. I was ordering all the helmets, doing all the apparel, doing, whatever we need to do recruiting wise. Um, even as a full-time coach, I was, you know, I was still young, but I was doing multiple things apart on top of coaching position group, mm-hmm. just trying to get ready to play a game each week. <clears throat> and yeah. so now that you're here, now that I'm here, I just get to coach football and yeah. just do football stuff. And it's, I wouldn't say one's greater than the other. And, you know, I think sometimes my job here is um, it's awesome, but I get, I dive really, really deep into every like, whatever my task is, like if I'm diagnosing our punt team, like a self scout, I'm going through every little thing that yep. can make it better. And at D2 level, you honestly don't have time to do that all the time. Um, and so, but I enjoyed, like I had I, I enjoyed designing apparel. I enjoyed being organized in my room, like little things like that, that I don't necessarily miss it, but it's just, it's just different. So, but in the end, it's still coaching ball. What's the hour expectation for maybe an aspiring coach to get into your roles? Like how many hours are you kind of expected to put in at each level? Oh, I don't think the hours have changed. Um, I mean, again, it all depends who you work for and it depends on how efficient you can be with your time. Yeah. Um, you know, there's stories and I've worked, you know, I've worked for guys um, who want you out of the office early. I've worked for guys who want you there till past midnight um, and I've worked for a guy who goes, when you get what you work done, get out of here. So it just kind of depends. And, you know, when you get in the coaching world, I think you have to understand that there's going to be times you're going to have to work and there's going to be times you have to get stuff done. You know, I, you know, I like to think my mind, at least it helps me. I'm going to have three late nights a week. And after that, I'm hopefully going to get home a little earlier because I do have to see my wife and eventually, you know, when we have kids, be able to get home and see my kids. So, mm-hmm. um, I think in today's age, you need to work, but you got to figure it out that works best for you. If you're an early morning person, go in early. If you're a late night guy, then you need then stay late. I just got to find what works best for you. Yeah. Yeah. What's it. So obviously one thing you hit on earlier is you had to move four times in four years. Like what's that like? And then I guess what advice would you give to the aspiring coaches that may get into this coaching world that something like that may happen? And what's, how about this? What's the expectation that you have to set with your significant other girlfriend, <laughs> spouse, or wife? Yeah. Um, 
we better make sure you marry a good one <laughs> that, that loves you. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, everyone talks about like a great coach's wife and there are coaches wives who are awesome. And my wife is a great coach's wife. Mm-hmm. And, but at first I don't think she quite knew what she was getting into. And then it just kind of happened. <laughs> and yeah. I think being a great communicator with your significant other is the biggest thing you have to communicate. You have to be honest with them. Um, and you, you just, the biggest, the big, hardest part I have with the way we've had it is my, me chasing my career has affected my wife's career and sure. not, not in a negative stance, but just in a way where she hasn't really been able to get into her career path as quickly yeah. as I am. Um, and it's just, that's been the hardest part, but we're in this together. You're a team, wherever you go, um, she's going to be with there with you. And the biggest thing I think I've learned is making sure you involve your wife with your players, wherever you, or yeah, you involve your wife with the players, wherever you go, Yep. you know, have them over for dinner, have her, I like when I, when my players come over for dinner, I have her run the show. I don't really talk. She asks questions. She gets them around. Um, you know, I, I'll, you know, when I call old players, one of my favorite things is they always ask me is how, how's your wife or, you know, how's Chaz? That's my wife. Her name's Chaz. Um, how's Chaz doing? Mm-hmm. Cause it's just, she's a, she was a part of it. Cause she's a part of me. And yeah. when she sees you putting all the time and effort into them and she actually gets to see it, that's what will make her feel more. Okay. Okay. Tonight I'm going to go to bed with myself and all that type of stuff, yeah. but you can't really be prepared for it. And then, I never want to be a coach. I moved around a lot, yep. but like I said, I moved four times in four years. So it hasn't, hasn't worked out quite there. One day we'll make it where, you know, yeah. you know, we'll move every five years or something. So yeah. well, that's good. You know, and I, I feel like it allows you to see the world too. Oh yeah. If, if you're the adventurous type, you know, I, I've been, I haven't, you know, I coached one year for the university of St. Thomas mm-hmm. and kind of like you, I didn't want to be a coach that maybe moved so much, you know, had I done this before I had kids, I think it would have been a different story, but now I have kids. It makes it a little harder to, to move. But oh, you know, sure. like I said, I think, I think having a great teammate, great wife, you know, um, where you both kind of understand what's, what's going to happen and what's in the mix is very, very good and important as well. Oh yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is. What, um, one more question about coaching. Cause I think, I think you're kind of a perfect example of, you know, these young kids that maybe want to aspire to do what you're doing. Um, if, if you were going to say, if you were going to do it again or, or reflect on how you, how you got into the mix, was there something that you wish you would have better prepared for, for like interviews or how would you reach out to college coaches expressing your interest levels? Like what, what could they take from those experiences? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't really think I would change my path. Um, because it's taught me so much. I've been through a lot and because I finished my eighth year coaching, it's just, I've learned a lot. Um, but like for younger coaches, I think the thing I'm not very good with is I'm not a great networker cause I'm more of a quiet type of person. I don't like going up to random people and just talking to them. So I think networking um, is a big thing and, but doing it in the right way. I don't, you know, you can compare it to recruiting in a sense, you know, where kids just send out a bunch of emails, you can, there's also coaches who network like that. And I, but I think you have to network with a right mentality of actually getting to know them and going in and listening and not just trying to talk about you the whole time yep. and what you want to do. And, you know, not networking to help you get a job, but networking to 
get really get to know that coach and learn from that coach is a big thing. And it's, um, it obviously paid off, you know, for, I got to work with coach Gobi back in Colorado, but I only worked for with him for, I think maybe it was one season, maybe it might've been six months. And obviously he liked me enough to hire me here. So um, I didn't do anything special. I was just myself. I worked hard. Um, I learned from him. And yeah, so I think that'd be my greatest advice is just, just when you network and network with the purpose, don't network to find a job mm-hmm. and just get to know people. And especially when there's other young coaches, you know, one of my good buddies, his name's Woody Blevins and his buddy Aaron is uh, brother, Buddy Blevins, they're twins. They're both in the coaching profession. Yeah. They, they started this thing called the Young Guns um, at the convention every year, the coach convention. It's a Young Guns Association. Bunch of other, they get a bunch of young coaches together and we just hang out and talk and watch, watch that national championship game and hang out and eat food. And they did it because we're going to be the, we're young. We're going to be the ones hiring each other one day. So it's always great to go and talk to older coaches and learn from them, ask them questions. You know, how did you handle this? How did you handle this? All this awesome stuff, Mm -hmm. but also talking young coaches, we're going to be the ones hiring each other one day too. So that's a great idea. um, But in the end, no matter, and then another thing, no matter where you get to, whether you're at a D2 school, D3 school, NAI, high school coaches, um, and up to the power five, you can't lose sight of who you are and you got to stay humble. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, especially when you get to this time, you, you start to think, Oh, I'm at power five school and pack 12, all this stuff. No, nah, man, you got to remember where you came from and remember, you know, my first season I worked for $5,000 and, mm-hmm. um, you know, all that type of stuff. So yeah, that's kind of a long answer. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's great. What, what do you think could be, you know, getting into psych- like an entry level role, how, how much should those kids kind of come prepared with maybe like an X's and O book? Like, Hey, this, I, you know, I, I believe in the shield punt or whatever, or this is how much knowledge I have on coaching kickers and punters, or mm-hmm. like, I just want to get my feet wet, put me at, do, you know, make me do whatever you want me to do. Like what's, what's good balance of like experience to bring to the table that these kids should have. Um, I think the biggest experience that a kid or a young person could have when they come in to try to coach is, it's really not what you know, because typically when you're young and you're going to a job, you're not going to get to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to do whatever your boss or your person above you wants to do. But what you can do is you can, you can learn how to be the best teacher you can possibly be. So whatever you go in there with, if you want to teach shield punt, go there and teach it the best of your ability and show them that you can teach and you have a passion for it and mm-hmm. you love it. And, um, and you're organized your book is really clean. Like I'm big on having stuff clean, like even like a resume or like a manual, whatever it is, really clean lines, all just make it look nice because that shows that you care about it. And um, at least for me one day, when I, if I ever make it and get to a point I get to hire people, I'm going to look for people who can teach um, because great coaches are great teachers, great teachers are great coaches. And so if you can teach, I can teach you what to do if you can go and teach it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the biggest thing for me. Sure. Yeah. I remember my, my season with, with St. Thomas, it was, it's kind of like a revolving door in terms of like, you're always teaching somebody, like you said, you, you, you know, cause I learned a lot. The coaches taught me a lot about what their schemes were and what, what was expected. And, and then I was, you know, I had to teach the players. It was just like a big circle of just teaching, like, like circle of life, but for coaching, it's just kind of a, 
it's a unique world, you know. Yep. Yep. So, uh, and my last question, just about the coaching realm, and maybe this might help better clarify. And this will start tying into just you know recruiting uh, thoughts for for the for the listeners as well. But because um, oftentimes we tell in recruiting, like, hey, don't just reach out to the head coach or the special teams coordinator because they got a million things to do. You know, reach out to the analysts and the quality controls and the GAs and stuff as well. And and they'll probably get excited, you know, that, that, that you reached out to them versus going right to the mid the top dog. But um, kind of before we kind of get into that stuff, can you explain to the listener what the difference is between like what a GA is and a, and a QC and an analyst and a special teams coordinator? And if there's any other step, like, like position roles I missed, but I think those are the main four, at least for special teams. But what's the difference between them typically? <laughs> Yes, sir. So um, kind of give you a rundown. So a GA is a graduate assistant. It means I'm, I'm in a master's program here at Washington State. Um, it's typically for younger coaches. Most of them you have to be within seven years of graduating from your undergrad to get become a GA. And so, um, but the best part about being a GA is you are allowed to be on the field in coach. So there's a new rule for NCAA. You can have your 10 full-time coaches out in the field to coach. Mm-hmm. And plus your four GAs. Those are the ones at most schools are the ones that can coach. Mm-hmm. The quality control is um, in most places is a step up from a GA. Just just only since just for money wise, you make a little more money than GAs. Um, but at some schools, quality controls can't coach. They can't be on the field and actually coach. They have to sit there and watch. They're kind of an off the field role. They do everything like in the office. When practice happens, they go out there and um, they just have to watch. You know, it's, but it's kind of depending on each school, how they handle that. Then analysts is just a step above and pay wise for quality controls based on your experience. Um, and sometimes they kind of the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But they, again, they're an off the field role as well. And then like they can't be on a headset during games and um, and then you go right into your special teams coordinator, whoever that may be, could be a co-coordinator, depending on the head coach, how they want to do the staff. Um, but typically there'll be an ST coordinator and, you know, that doesn't mean he'll always work with a specialist. Typically he will, but there could be someone else like a QC who's kind of in charge of specialists, um, and stuff like that. So that, that's kind of the, the rundown of those four positions. Yeah. No, that's great. Great clarity. Um, all right, I'll go into the, the recruiting side of things uh, for, for specialists. You know, and they're probably reaching out to everybody at those different types. Mm-hmm. Let's just say you as a, as a GA, you, you get a few leads that you like. What's, what's typically like the, like the totem pole process of like, you know, when you talk special teams or team meetings or whatever, like, like introducing recruits to the team? Like what's kind of it, what's it typically like? So these guys get a little bit of idea of, of, of what it's like on the inner circle. Um, are you talking about like, like introducing recruits to the rest of the staff? Well, let's just say some punter or some kicker contacts you and is like, Hey, I'm interested in your school. You check them out. It looks good. Like, you know, do you go, Hey, Hey, Mr. QC, what do you think? And then it goes to the analyst or, you know, how, just to give like the, uh, Oh, I got you. Okay. The recruits kind of like, this, this is what it's kind of like on the inner circle. Like if, you know, you talk to us guys that aren't special teams coordinators. Here's kind of what's going on. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on each school situation um, and the, you know, the relationship that the quality controls, the analysts have with the coordinator, you know, at some schools, I, I, I'm assuming that 
you know, the analysts are the one or quality controls are the ones kind of finding the, um, the specialists and then they find their top guys and then take it on this, the coordinator. How it works for us is uh, Coach Gobi and I both recruit. Um, we, we know the needs we want. We kind of have an idea of what we're looking for and we'll both just kind of find guys. And however we find them, we don't, it doesn't really matter. It could be a guy reaching out to us like, oh, this kid hit, you know, hit us up. He looks good. Let's check him out. Or it could be, you know, a lot of times I spend a lot of time going through, um, you know, like all you guys, the different camps and just seeing where guys are and just watching you guys' tapes, mm-hmm. just kind of getting lists from people. And I go through watching guys that way. Um, and then we also, you know, we're fortunate here where we have a recruiting department. They don't always look for specialists. But if they find one, then they'll send it to my, my way typically. And then if I like him, then I'll take him on to Coach Gobi. Yeah. It, but I think each school just kind of depends. You'll just kind of have to see um, – like I, I would look on Twitter and kind of see what they do on Twitter and how they interact, what they're looking for, and just – what it, it really just depends what type of relationship they have with the special teams coordinator. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. hope that clarifies it a little bit. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we've seen this year, the COVID year, uh, you know, just Twitter's become like the absolute sort of mecca route to try to like get your foot in the door somewhere just because there's no college kicking, run camps and, and you know, in-person visits. Um, what are some what are some kind of pros and cons that you see when when looking at specialists, whether you're kind of seeking them out or they're, they're seeking you out and introducing themselves and DMs and all that stuff? What are some things that you like that that's that? they're doing and some things you think need to be a little bit better Um, they're sort of introducing themselves or what they're putting out on Twitter. Yeah. I think, I think specialists actually do a really good job of using technology to their advantage. You know, it's so easy to make a video nowadays and to post that on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's a unique, you know, it's different of watching a kicker go out to a field by himself and kick some balls. than it is then, you know, watching the defensive back go through some cone drills. Because when I was a defensive back coach, I didn't really, I didn't, I would watch the cone drills to kind of see something, but I didn't really go off it too much. I want to see your game tape and how you do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, specialists, you can learn a lot from a specialist by how they kick just by themselves out in the field. So I think that's something that Twitter is really enhanced and just guys figuring out how to make good, you know, good videos with different camera views and things like that. I think the thing I really like is when film is running. Yep. When they just leave the camera on and just kick, you know, go, go, go hash to hash and kick six balls. I like to see that. I like to see, you know, Coach Govey always talked about what's going to be your plus one. Mm-hmm. You know, if we recruit a kicker, um, let's say he's just he's just a kicker, but also can he, you know, he's a place kicker, but can he do kickoffs? How are, how are his kickoffs? Or yep. can he punt? Yep. Like, what, what are you going to add to our, to our specialist group that we don't have? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's – you know, I think if you can do all three, show film of all three. Even if you're maybe not as what not as good at one of them, yep. I would show. It. I challenged. We were we were in the market for a punter, and I challenged our top three guys to send me their kickoff tape. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't really. And even if it's ugly and you look like a punter swinging through it, that's fine. I just want to see you kick the ball and just see if there's any type of potential through there because. Typically for us, we like guys that will have that plus one. So if it comes down to a guy who punts and a guy who punts and kicks, we're probably going to lean towards a guy who punts and kicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What so, could what could kids do a little bit better at in terms of like when they introduce or try to try to DM a coach that that you've seen? 
That, that um, either wallows you or makes you cringe. Yeah, I'm gonna apologize. I'm terrible at Twitter. I don't. Yeah. I'm. I'm a young. I guess I'm a millennial that doesn't like Twitter, and I. I, I struggle. DMing or like responding. I try really, really hard to respond to every kid yeah. who, gets, who reaches out to me. I try to at least say what's up. Um, Cause I know what that feels like. So I try really hard, but I'm not good at it. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think just having, you know, not a long message, but just a short message introducing yourself and then attaching some film, you know, yeah. where just say where you're from, your height and weight, um, any important statistics, you know, and just then attaching some film and especially, film of you just kicking and then also like from kick, kicking in high school your highlight tape as well yeah because um, we do like to look at game film especially when it comes to kickoffs so yeah let's say uh let's say obviously we all know game film is the is is the peak it's the peak mm -hmm. film what other what other types of say kicker punter or long snapper film would you like to see because we all know that at certain high school teams and levels maybe they don't get the opportunity to kick or the coach uses the quarterback to punt, you know, but you're still a good punter and all that stuff. Like what other, what other types of film will catch your eye? I guess you said, you know, uncut film, would that be kind of like almost number two? Like, Hey, if, if your height, if your season film isn't great, like semi uncut, like what, what would be important for you to see? Um, you know, I think high school film is important. Um, just a lot of times, like even like high school film is never like the quality is never, or it, it's always, up or down whether it's going to be really good to look at or not mm -hmm. and it's nothing against the kid it's just just high school football and it's it's okay so i think some i love just seeing like you can't always see the form of a kid in high school tape is what i'm trying to say and yeah. so any any film where it's just up close of you kicking the ball with where we can see your form mm -hmm. you know not necessarily um the full ball fight all the times but just kind of just to see your form you know, I can time it. Like, you don't have to put a time in there. I'll time it if I like it. Like, I'll, I'll figure it out and I'll time it and have an estimate of how far I think it went. You know, one thing I do really like is I like to see the back shot of kickoffs and, mm -hmm. you know, from um, just behind the kicker. Yep. But then also have a view later on of up like on a – I know a lot of guys put it up in the stands yep. so I can really see how far it went and get a true hang time for it. But I like to see, you know – how far you hurdle, get over the hurdle and things like that as well. And, you know, I can always slow it down and really go piece by piece with it too. Yep. I think any type of film you have where it's clear, showing your form and technique and showing your power is awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, what would you say, what, you know, obviously, okay. So you got this inner circle of, of kind of young coaches and I'm sure you guys talk, you know, group, group texts and all that type of stuff what's kind of the consensus for the 2021 class, you know, because obviously we had early, early signing day, signing mm -hmm. day, you know, real signing days coming up in, in a week or so, but obviously we have these spring football seasons and spring practices and all that stuff. Like, like how late do you think this 2021 recruiting cycle is going to be like rolling into? Cause kids are getting impatient and some are, we're telling them to be patient. And like, what do you, what do you see amongst, amongst your coaching group? Oh, that's, that's a great question. And if I'm being honest, I don't necessarily know how it is at the lower levels. Mm -hmm. um, for us, we were lucky where we you know, were pretty much full after the early signing date. Mm -hmm. And we got lucky in that situation. We're not, we're just kind of looking for a few other um, pieces later on, but at lower levels, I, I don't, I do not know the answer to that, but I, it's a great question. Cause I feel very, I feel terrible for this class 21. 
yeah. and especially ones here in Washington and in California who didn't get. I know that I know those states didn't play, and who knows if they will get able be able to either. Um, I would say be patient, yeah. and at some point, you know, either take a chance on yourself and go if you want to go try walk on somewhere that's a dream school you've had a little bit of interest in, go walk on. And, you know, if if a school does offer you a scholarship and it's not where you want to be, I would still go because I, I'm a big believer in being a small school guy. If you're good enough, people will find you yeah. um, and just go be great wherever it is. You know, I never dreamed when I was growing up to go play at D2 school, but it was the best thing ever happened to me. I yeah. love that. school. I love playing there. It was, I mean, I still believe I could have played a higher level, but I wasn't developed in high school. Mm-hmm. It took me a while once I got into college to develop and grow into the player I really could have been. So going to a lower level was perfect for me. Yep, yeah. Uh, that's what I think for the 21 class. And like I said, that's a good question. I should probably call a bunch of my buddies <laughs> at DP schools and figure it all out. We'll do a part two or interview <laughs> one of your buddies who's, who's got it down. But, okay, how about the 2022 class? You know, I mean, I suppose they got to wait a little bit, right? Just, just kind of see how these restrictions loosen up. And I think it's April, right, is when – in theory, things should be opening up where you guys can do visits and things like that. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Um, I believe so. And for them, I would also say just to be patient, you know, especially when it comes here, you know, we, we played our season, but this is the first time and coach Rollo said the other night, it's the first time um, in our coaching profession, our coaching lives that we've ever, it's basically we had the same team back. Because yep. all the kids can come back without losing a year of eligibility, get this year back. And so that's weird. And it, it, we, I don't know necessarily how it's going to affect scholarships in the future and things like that. And yep. it's really going to affect that 22 class because it's, it, these guys are going to graduate in 21, which is affecting that 22 class. And I don't know. I'm not sure how all this is going to work out. It's, it's a crazy, crazy time, especially yep. – um, you know, at this level, you have 85 lower levels when you can give out partials and things like that, it might be a little better, but it is, it is going to be crazy. Yeah. It seems like the general consensus, and it's kind of like what you're saying, like if you're able to earn, if you're lucky enough to earn a scholarship, like right off the bat, like, like just take it, you know, get, have that opportunity to play. And, but you, you just gotta be, you know, be patient, let it, let the dust settle a little bit. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's just going to be such a turnaround in the spring, personally, like by April, because yep. some teams will have a season. Don't know what they got. Some teams will have spring ball. And as you know, some kids quit because they're not the starting guy, you know, and they thought they were in their third string or somebody's hurt or their grades aren't right. You know, I mean, that, that stuff always happens no matter like what's regardless of COVID, you know, but uh, yep. such a kind of such a crazy world. Do you guys in, in general, do you anticipate a, the college run kicking camps coming back this summer. Is that, is that even oh, the I, process right now? Yeah, coach, I, I'm going to be honest. I have no idea. We're still <laughs> trying to, to make sure um, we all pass protocol every day. So yeah. um, that's a good question. I really, we, we're just trying to go one day at sure. a time. It's been the longest. I, I tell people all the time we played four games and it was the longest season I've ever been a part of and probably will ever be a part of. Mm-hmm. So we're all still trying to figure it all out. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. All right, Coach. Well, here's our, uh, our flagship question. All right. Um, this is our fourth season. And then season four, we've only interviewed college coaches. So it's been real fun because there's a lot of 
unique stadiums that they talk about, like like not the traditional ones everybody hears because of, you know, personal ties and connections. So it's always been fun to hear it. But since you are a former player as well, um, tell us your your five favorite stadiums you've ever played in, and then and then five favorite stadiums you've ever coached in, and maybe why if you want to get a little depth behind it. Oh, that's a good question. Um, played in the number one, and it's going to be in basketball. I got we got to go play BYU um, as an exhibition game. Yeah, and it was it was incredible. The the stadium or their arena holds, I think, it's close to thirty thousand people, mm-hmm. which is really big for a college basketball arena. Yeah. It was exhibition game versus a D two school. So we're like, ah, there's not gonna be very many people there. There's like eighteen thousand people there, mm-hmm. and it was absolutely incredible um so that's that's definitely number one uh where i played i always i love playing stoker stadium that's where Colorado mesa played and it's where i grew up um in high school we would play there on friday nights i used to love playing there on friday nights because it was in our rival town he's going love going up there and uh beating all of our rivals so i love playing there um oh i don't know Got some Pac-12 options? I didn't play in the Pac-12. For, I guess oh, yeah. for ones I, I coached in. Uh, Pac-12, man, we got to go to the Coliseum this year and play USC. That was an absolutely incredible experience. Just to think about, you know, that's where the Olympics were and all that stuff. And they just renovated it all. So it was beautiful, beautiful night to play there. I love that. Um, we got to go to where else? We went to Utah, the mm-hmm. Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was awesome, too, just because the mountains are right there. It's very pretty. Um, I used to love going to, um, back in my D2 days, we played Colorado State Pueblo mm-hmm. in Pueblo, Colorado. I never got to play there, but I coached there multiple times. It's a big dome. It's one of the best in Division Two. Mm-hmm. I love playing there. And then um, at my last Division Two school at Tarleton State, we just, when I got there, we just finished renovating the, um, the stadium, mm-hmm. and it was it was immaculate. It still is. It's beautiful. Um, it's a small school stadium. You know, it holds like 12,000 people. Yeah. And we packed it out because we, we were, you know, we were like top three in the nation. We packed it out. And uh, that was, you know, being, being down in Texas, Texas football is real. Those are, those are probably my, my top. I know I didn't give you five, but those are definitely my top right there. Are there any, any stadiums you're looking forward to next season when hopefully we get a full season? <laughs> um, the first one is to play in Martin Stadium, which is in Pullman, Washington, our home stadium with fans in it. That's what I'm most looking forward to because we didn't oh, get you guys didn't even play in your own home stadium this year? We, we played in it, but there wasn't fans in there. Oh, we we're no fans. So I want to play in Pullman um, with the crazy, crazy fun fans of Pullman, Washington State. That's my number one thing I'm looking forward to. Yeah, you know, I would love. I want to go to Oregon. I want to go check out that stadium, mm-hmm. see what that's all about, and all these other. You know, I want to go to um, the Rose Bowl, play UCLA. Yeah. yeah, but again, I want to play in Pullman, <laughs> really, really bad. I imagine, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of history with with Pac-12. You mm-hmm. know, just in the West Coast, all the mountains, the the coastlines, all that stuff. I mean, it's. Sure. I haven't been to a game in the West Coast, but I'd, lo- I'd love to at some point. Oh, you should come out, Coach. Oh, yeah. And then one last one. Sorry. I want to go back to my home state of Colorado and play uh, CU. Oh, yeah. So I, I did I did go to, like, camps growing up there, too, and played in 7-on-7 camps. And 
had one of my better seven on seven days in that actual stadium. So playing in that, I would like to go back there and, uh, you know, just play back in Colorado. I, I can vouch for that stadium. When I was a senior, you know, I was thinking of the route of either just being a student or going to play football and we toured CU. That was beautiful. That was my number one school that I wanted to go to academically because I liked the outdoors. Yeah. Um, ended up being a little too expensive for me for being an out-of-state <laughs> student, but yeah. that stadium setup is real nice. Oh, yeah. It's really pretty. It is. It is very pretty. It's a very cool spot. Awesome, Coach. Well, thank you for being on the Fourth Down Experience podcast. And this was awesome. I know we talked a little bit more coaching, but I think it was good for the listeners to also get a vibe and a feel for what it's like to – do what you do and, and, and maybe aspire to get to that route as well. So thank you. Thanks for being on. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on. I really right. do. Perfect. Thank you. Have a great day. and Good evening. All right. Later. Thank you for listening to the fourth down experience. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fourth down experience.